CDC is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On The Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. We're so thrilled to have Mark Evans on the show today. Mark is the principal of ME Consulting and is accelerating the speed at which entrepreneurs grow their companies by harnessing the messaging and branding behind entrepreneurs and their who, what, where, why, and when. Mark recently became the VP of Marketing at Daisy Intelligence, an AI-powered software platform that helps both retailers and insurance companies turn their data into real business recommendations. Mark knows that stories engage customers, clients, employers, investors, and beyond, and is passionate about using brand positioning, marketing, content, and voice voice to help startups grow. Mark began his career working as a technology reporter for the National Post and Globe and Mail. In 2015, Mark wrote Storytelling for Startups, a tactical guidebook for entrepreneurs to create their own stories that give them a competitive edge. Most recently, Mark published Marketing Spark, a book designed for entrepreneurs to embrace the power of storytelling. In addition to supporting entrepreneurs and their stories, Mark is an advisor to Next36 and a mentor with OCAD's Image Catalyst program. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. Glad to be here. 
And I have to say, your story is very interesting to me on a number of fronts. But before we get into all of it, I would love to know what inspired you to become so committed to story? What made this a passion point in your life? Well, I guess that I've always been a storyteller. As you mentioned, I started my career as a reporter for the National Post and several other newspapers. And I just like the idea of gathering lots of information and then packaging it into something that's accessible, that's engaging, and that's educational. And, you know, it, it feels like I've been writing the storytelling uh, way for a long time and the rest of the world has, has caught up to me or the rest of the world has finally realized that storytelling matters and makes, that, makes an impact. It's quite a thing now because when we're looking at any marketing of both products and people, it comes back to the story and what the audience thinks of, of, of what the story is. So when you're working with clients, how do you get them to jump into the heart of what they have to say and the stories they're here to share? Well, to be honest with you, that's a big challenge because a lot of companies, particularly startups and early stage companies, aren't thinking about story. And you could argue that they're not really thinking about their customers. What they're concerned about is product, developing a product that they can sell, and then customer acquisition. So they're focused on what they're doing as opposed to who they're selling to. And it sounds kind of strange when you think about it, because you know, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, in a sense, they almost take their customers for granted or they ignore their customers thinking that, well, if we build a really good product, people are going to buy it. And one of the big challenges when it comes to storytelling is convincing them that they've got to take a different view of the world and that being customer-centric as opposed to product-centric is the better way to go in terms of growing the business and building a, a customer community. So one of the first things I have to do is convince them that story matters and that their marketing and sales and customer service all have to have storytelling integrated into it. So how do you coax those clients to help them realize that about their own products when it comes to the story? How do you help them construct what that narrative is? Well, in an ideal world, they've recognized that there's a gap in their sales and marketing. They've realized, for whatever reason, maybe it's because they've been reading multiple articles, that the best brands are great storytellers. But uh, so if, if they've sort of got that mindset, then that becomes a lot easier in terms of saying you've got to start telling stories. Now, if they're not there yet, um, it becomes like a, an information campaign or, or a, a series of, you know, trying to educate them. And part of it is saying to them, listen, you know, focusing on product is going to get you so far. I mean, you know, in the early days, you know, product's important, but when you start selling your product, then everything changes and that you have to have almost like um, a three pillared uh, approach to the world. You've got your product, you've got sales and you've got marketing and storytelling needs to be part of that process. And the other thing I say to them is that, you know, storytelling sh should have always been part of how you've done business. Like, when you start a business, you've got there's a story behind why you started your business and some of the challenges that you faced when it came to growing your business. You think about, for example, the idea of origin stories, which are, you know, the story about how a, a company began, whether it's by chance or serendipity or by design. And in the early days, that story is really important. 
it really matters to people if you're trying to sell to them or recruit them about where you came from and, and why your company is interesting. Because when you're starting, you haven't really got much to say about what you're doing. And all you've got is your origin story. And I find that uh, in the entrepreneurship space, sometimes um, it can be really hard for founders to want to implicate themselves in the narrative of the product or of the the business that they're building. So how have you uh, supported founders in getting past that? Because I know a lot of the time too, businesses can start from a pain point or say a story that, that might be vulnerable for the person to share. How do you help people realize like that's actually gold when it comes to storytelling and connecting to your customers? Yeah, that's a really great, uh, a great question. And I think you're right that a lot of entrepreneurs for some reason want to stay behind the scenes. They want the product to be the sexy thing. And in the early days, when you don't have much of a brand and you don't have uh, a lot of sales is that, that what you've really got is you've got, you've got people who are building the business and the people have stories and they have passions uh, and they've got, um, they've got a journey that they're on. And what you're trying to do is connect potential customers with who you are because you are the brand and it's important to leverage um, your passion, your excitement, your vision, and that gets people on board because at the end of the day, when you think about it, people don't buy products. People buy people buy products from other people. And so when you haven't got a big track record, your your biggest asset is you and and where you want to take your company and how you want to grow your product. And so, you know, I would recommend to many entrepreneurs is, is put yourself out there and leverage the fact that that the world likes good stories and the world people want to do business with good people, people that they trust. Um, people that they think, you know, have a passion, the same kind of passions and interests that they do. So there's absolutely, it's an absolute no brainer to put yourself front and center. So let's go from, you've uncovered the story, the origin story, what you have to share around your product, product to now tactically starting to get that story into the marketplace. What are some strategies that you would suggest to our listeners with, you've got your product, you've got the origin story. Now you got to get it out there. Right. So the the thing about marketing and storytelling is that sort of the world's your oyster right now. There's so many different channels that you could leverage, so many different options. And one of the biggest challenges for many companies is they uh, think that if they try everything, if they do everything, then that's the effective way to get their story out to the world. And the problem with that is companies have limited resources. And the other thing is that their customers aren't everywhere. Their customers are in certain places. So the first thing to do is to identify who your customers are, what their interests are, and as important, where do they where do they find their stories? Where do they go to discover their stories or the content that is interesting to them? And you've got to identify. It could be Facebook, it could be videos, it could be blog posts, uh, it could be traditional media. Whatever it is, you have to identify those places, and then you design stories for those different channels. So like I, I like to say, um, you party where the party's happening. So you tell stories where people are going to read stories or discover stories. And that allows you to, to prioritize your marketing and to focus your resources on uh, the right channels at the right time. That's, that's job one. And in your experience working with various startups, uh, you have a lot of expertise in the tech space. Um, when you're looking at how individuals, so 
coaching or, or content marketing based businesses that are maybe course specific, um, very online focused versus physical product. Uh, do you have any, um, any differentiators that you would suggest for those who are in the personal, like personal brand business versus the product business? Well, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question because when it comes to the brand, really, um, it, the focus is on the product itself. So you, it's a software product or a hardware product and that, you know, you're trying to educate people about how they could use the product, you know, the different features and benefits, how it's different from other similar uh, products, um, and really trying to get people to understand the sort of the use case and how they might experience that product. Because experience is the big thing these days, is you want people to imagine what it would be like to, you know, benefit from using a particular product. When it comes to personal branding, that's all about you. And it's all about Establishing credibility, uh, trust, uh, thought leadership, expertise, and the focus has to be on how you deliver your view of the world to the people that matter to you. So when I was doing my consulting business, it was a matter of, for example, uh, publishing a weekly newsletter, which features curated content. And what I was saying to the world is, hey, look how smart I am or look how resourceful I am. Um, I'm delivering this value added content to you. Or it could be posting videos on LinkedIn that showcase my thoughts. And, and the other thing is that when you use video, it, you can personalize your brand. You show the world who you are, what you look like. You um, present yourself as, as likable uh, and presentable. And that way you can then give people a taste of what, a, what it would be like to do business with you. And then you can publish blog posts, which are all about you know being helpful, being educational, uh, and really showcasing that that you're willing to give and in return, you're also sort of almost willing to trade um, services. I'll give you something, you give me something back. So it's a different kind of marketing. Um, but, but you know, the common denominator is it's all customer focused, right? It's all about your customers and, and their needs and their interests and, uh, and the places where you can connect with them. So this is a bit of a, a nuanced question in that, for a lot of personal brands uh, who are building businesses out of their personal brand and using that to to upsell for different products, um, how do you suggest they develop what content is going to be public versus what they are going to put behind their paywall or behind um, the products that they're building? Because sometimes it can feel like, am I giving too much? Um, is there still going to be value behind behind what they're going to eventually pay for in terms of the customers. How do you help uh, people differentiate that? Or how did you do that yourself? So for the most part, everything, you know, in the early days when you're sort of in the awareness and consideration days, everything should be in front of the paywall. Like you want people to have as much access to your product information and your thought leadership as possible. You don't want to put roadblocks on because, you know, to be honest with you, there's too much competition. There's too many other companies that look like you, they're, they, they have the same prices as you do. And so if you put grit into this into the sales or marketing process, you're going to lose people. They're going to they're going to turn off. So so you really want to get people as educated and as engaged as possible. And 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 you know, people have they have all kinds of re, you know, resources at their fingertips. So why make it difficult for yourself by hiding things um, that other companies may not hide? But. Once you've got them in the fold and you're trying to upsell them, then that's when you can do things that aren't front and center, that aren't public. It could be as simple things as as uh, weekly newsletters or monthly newsletters that 
aren't sent to everybody. People could share them if they wanted to, but really it's for a specific audience and you're delivering them tips and insight um, and specific information about your product. And then at some point in time, you can also do things like behind the wall tutorial videos so that you don't reel them to competitors, but you provide value to your users. And it could be things like um, meetups or dinners or things that are a lot more personal, but not public. So there's lots of different ways that you can uh, divide and conquer. But by and large, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like it's basically show people what you got and the value that you deliver. And then once you get into the fold, then you can figure out ways that you can deliver sort of customized or specific product information. Fantastic. And so I'd love to go back a little bit more to your personal story and your entrepreneurship journey. So it began um, very, back in about 2006, 2007, as the financial crisis was beginning. And can you share a little bit about the what it was like to build your, your business at a time that was very scary for a lot of people? Yeah, so I was working for a startup, uh, a travel startup in 2008, and I got laid off. And, it, you know, I had I have three kids and a wife and a mortgage. And it was one of these things where what am I going to do? And I fell into consulting. I, I told people that I had lost my job and somebody asked me if I could put a marketing strategy together for them. And I said, sure, I can do that, which I really couldn't. But I, I kind of faked it. So I made it. And that kind of got me into marketing consulting. And to be honest with you, I kind of learned on the fly. Uh, I made it up as I, as I went, it sounds bad now, but you know, some of my early customers were guinea pigs and, um, and over time I learned and I, I, you know, through you know, workshops and courses and working with clients and I, and I turned myself into a marketing consultant and it's, it was an interesting, um, entrepreneurial journey. Cause I never really saw myself as an entrepreneur before, like a, a like a full fledged entrepreneur. I was a newspaper reporter. Then I worked for startups. Um, and what I discovered is that is that, you know, it's once you become an entrepreneur, it's kind of a sink or sim kind of experience. Either you thrive and you do whatever it takes to, to stay afloat or it doesn't work for you. And and I think people find out pretty quickly whether they are an entrepreneur or not. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things these days is everybody thinks they're an entrepreneur and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. But once they sort of become an entrepreneur, it's a completely different experience. You know, the realities of 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 having your own business and uh, recruiting clients and doing the work at the same time uh, hits home in a very big way, and uh, it can be it can be a, pr a pretty shocking experience when you realize that there's a lot to it, more to it than just sort of being an entrepreneur, which is very sexy right now. Mm -hmm. And I find that it's uh, it's not cut out. For, not everyone's cut out for it, and I think that we're seeing more people being upfront about that fact and and helping people navigate that early in their entrepreneurial journey. Because I find the level of stress that can come with this career path is is huge, and uh, people need to know that more upfront. So I'm wondering, what did you find for yourself in terms of how you took care of yourself as being the sole part of the business, um, through those early pieces of time. And even up to now, what are some practices that you put in place for yourself to, to stay steady, to stay well? So everyone talks about work-life balance. And I think, you know, there's a lot of conjecture about whether it's possible to have work-life balance in today's 24 seven world. But for me, some of the keys were the fact that I had a family and that, you know, I, I had no choice but to spend time with my, my wife and my children. I mean, I had a choice, but I, I, I chose to spend time with them, which was really good. Um, the other thing is that my wife and I, 
um, have a very active social life or we, we, we promised ourselves that we would have an active social life. So we, there was things that we did that were outside of work and outside of our children. And the other thing is the sports. Like I'm a big uh, hockey player, not a, well, I'm not a big hockey player, but I'm an active, enthusiastic <laughs> hockey player and, uh, and I play a lot of tennis and the, those kind of things are when you get yourself into a, into a situations where you're not thinking about work because you're all you're thinking about is hitting a puck or or hitting a ball. That's when you really escape kind of that always on kind of entrepreneurial mentality. And I think entrepreneurs, um, a lot of them become obsessed with work and they don't give themselves outlets uh, to maintain physical and mental health. And as you're right, there's a lot of talk about stress these days. And I can tell you firsthand that it is real and stress is a very, something that sort of, you don't realize that you're maybe suffering it as much as you do, but every entrepreneur, I think it finds business to be very stressful because there's ups and downs and you're stressed when things are going really well, cause you're super busy and you're stressed when things aren't going so well because you're not making any money. Um, so it is important to have have those outlets. Absolutely. And I find that as well that there's a narrative of when things are hard, go harder. Um, but that pullback and creating spaces for yourself to be, to be, have a little bit of that mindfulness. Cause I find like, I love volleyball and I love, uh, working out and it's those places are where I find a lot of joy because it, it literally is that like, I have to dig this ball or like be in this moment. Otherwise <laughs> this game's over. So, uh, I appreciate that. And I wonder, um, in terms of your experience with sport and the psychology around sport, would you say that that supported you in your entrepreneurial endeavors? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think with, if I wasn't playing sports, I mean, it doesn't mean you have to play sports. You can have other interests, but for me, sports was that, that physical and mental outlet. And the other thing about sports, and you can appreciate this playing volleyball is it's, it's, there's a, there's a very big social aspect to it as well, is that you're, you're talking to other people, you have relationships with other people who really don't care about your business. I mean, they care, but it's not what they, what they're, it's not what, that's not the core part of their relationship with you. I mean, you're working, when you're working for a startup, the people that you work with, you're all in it together. I mean, pretty much you're all obsessed with making your startup successful and it becomes sort of the, the thing that you're all into. When you get yourself into sports, for example, people are into food and they're into socializing and they're into travel and they're into all kinds of different things and you, you get lost in their worlds. The idea is you get to escape into their interests and then you get to share their interests and maybe you get involved with their interests. And I think you know, if I had to look back at entrepreneurialism, that's the key is that is it is you really have to avoid being obsessed with your business. And I know it's hard. And I know that, you know, everyone talks about the fact that you've got to work all these hours and Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, purports this myth that you have to work 80 to 90 hours a week if you want to be successful. And I think that's complete, that's complete fallacy. Um, and that, you know, the best entrepreneurs are the ones that realize that you give it all when you're, when you do what you're doing and when you're off, you're off and it's hard, but you have to be disciplined to make that happen. Absolutely. I, I faced myself just a, a critical burnout in my mid twenties. And it was some, it was like a wake up call that wouldn't have happened until later in my career or later in my life. And it is one of those things where if we don't have a full life, I won't even say a balanced life, but a life that's full of things that aren't just our business, um, then we're missing out. Like we're missing out on a huge chunk of why we're all here. And uh, I find that it's refreshing to to hear this and to have this conversation in this way um, in, in while being successful entrepreneurs. And so my next 
ask a question for you is actually about your most recent transition when it can't comes to work. So you went from starting your business in 08 to 10 years, just over 10 years later, now taking a full-time position. Uh, what was that transition like and the impetus behind it? I read your recent blog post about that transition, but I'd love to know, like, how did this come to be and what was it like to go from owning your own shop to now managing a team and, and having budget and all of these things. So it was kind of an unexpected sort of twist of events. So I loved being a consultant. I mean, it's a great way to make a living despite the fact that it can be stressful and from time to time and the work-life flexibility is amazing. Um, so what happened was that I, I met the, one of the uh, executives from Daisy at the Elevate conference uh, last fall and we literally bumped into each other in the lobby. And I met this guy a couple of years ago. I had coffee with him and I asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm working for Daisy. He asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I'm doing, I focused a lot on brand storytelling. And he said, well, I need, we need brand storytelling. Why don't you meet, meet our management team? And one thing led to another. And I signed a, a six month contract with Daisy. You know, in the consulting business, six months is, is like, I call them whales because, you know, it's a big piece of business. Um, you know, they, they're, they're lucrative when you're a consultant. So you love those type of customers. So I was super excited about working with them. And it was one of those engagements that where, to be honest with you, they, it doesn't happen like this all the time. Everything fell into place. I got there. I, I quickly made some real significant and tangible uh, improvements to their marketing. Um, we made some, some really good decisions and, you know, the, the success was like, wow, this, this is really this this engagement is really being really successful. In fact, it was so successful that about a month in, they said, well, why don't you come work for us? And I was like, oh, I don't want to work full time. I don't want I'm a consultant. I have this great lifestyle. And the more that I, I worked with them and the more that I realized um, the opportunity, the more intrigued I got. So when they asked me again, it went from, I don't want to work for you guys to, well, let's, why don't we talk about it and see, you know, what the parameters are. And it's, it's one of these situations where it was the right opportunity at the right time. The one is that um, I'm a fundamental believer in that product is king. As much as I believe in storytelling, at the end of the day, you got to have a good product. And if you have a good product, then you can tell stories on top of your product. So they had a good product. It's in the artificial intelligence space, which is red hot right now. Um, and it's the place to be if you're a tech entrepreneur. And the third thing was the opportunity to be uh, the VP of marketing here because I had, you know, I'd worked with a lot of companies and with relatively small marketing budgets over the years. And I came to a company that had a big marketing budget, um, has very ambitious uh, growth uh, prospects. And it was one of these opportunities when I looked at it, I went, this is an, this is an opportunity like staring me in the face. Like if I turn this down, I'd probably kick myself because, you know, I'd continue to have interesting consulting um, engagements, but it wouldn't be like this. So the way I kind of framed it in my mind uh, was that I'm not, I haven't got out the consulting business. I'm just consulting for one company right now. Right. And, and that way I sort of, I got my head around the fact that now I'm a full-time employee. I love that mind trick to just like get yourself on board with it. Um, so what advice do you have for folks who may have an opportunity similar to go from consulting or their entrepreneurship journey, but they're ready to jump to something new and they're looking again at a full-time situation and trying to assess, is this, is this right for me right now? And, uh, 
how they can make it work for them. Cause like you said, there was lifestyle constraints and, and, and um, priorities that you had around your consulting business that you'd built for yourself. And was that part of your negotiating when you ended up going full-time with Daisy? So it's, what's been interesting since I announced that I joined Daisy was I've been approached by a number of consultants who have asked me that question, who have said, you know, consulting's tiring or I'm looking for a change you know, how did you do what you, what you did? And I, I tell them my story, which is really not by design. It just kind of happened. But I think that consulting is hard. I mean, you, you, you have to hustle all the time. And I think at some point, uh, people realize that they want to change, whether their business isn't doing very well, or they just want to do something differently. So the, the leap is, is not as hard as they think, but my advice to them is to pick the right company um, and the right opportunity. Don't feel like that uh, you have to make that decision right away, or it's something that you have to do because you have to do it. Is like pick the right company, and like things like, is the company growing? Do you see an opportunity to learn and to grow with the company? What's the corporate culture like? Because you know when you're not when you're a consultant, you can you're a pretty footloose and fancy free kind of lifestyle. And you may not want to go into a corporate culture that's high energy and frenetic and, you know, everyone's working all hours of the day and night. You may want something that's a little laid back. Um, and it really, there really has to be a fit, like a really good fit, because it is a change. Um, it's really hard from, to go from being a consultant to being a full-time employee who works in a cubicle. Uh, and you, you're the boss and then you go, go to having a boss. So. You, know, you really have to do your homework before you um, before you do what you want to do. So in, in, in my case, all the pieces pieces fell into place, um, and I felt very comfortable uh, making the move. But I, in my case, I, I I had three months to think about it. Right? I it was almost like I went for a test drive for three months, and then I decided to buy the car without or any pressure. Like I have to buy it right away. So. Um, my advice to people is to be patient because if you're going to make the jump, make sure you, you do it at the right time and with the right uh, partner. Excellent. And in terms of when you were going from that consulting lifestyle and working wherever you wanted all those different pieces, I'm curious if that is something you were able to negotiate with Daisy about in terms of always needing to be in the office or being able to be flexible with where you worked and how you worked. Yeah, that's, that was, that's an interesting uh, part of the discussion. So so I asked them if I could have a little wiggle room in terms of working from home. And, and the, the deal with them was I work one day from home, um, depending on, you know, what the day of the week that works best. Um, so it's and so that way it sort of, you know, it, it gives me um, a little bit of lifestyle flexibility. Like, you know, when I'm working from home, I'm working from home, but I don't have to commute. Like our office is at Keel and Steels, which is about a 40 minute commute from my home downtown. And so not having to commute that one day a week makes a big difference. And, and so that was, and in this day and age, I mean, there's two schools of thought here. One is, you know, anybody can work from anywhere and remote working is so easy these days because we've got all the tools at our disposal to do the work and make it happen. But the other side is that when you're, especially when you're a, an executive is, you, is that you have to have FaceTime with your, with your, with your employees and you have to sort of, be there with all your other employees and, and show them that, hey, I'm as, I'm as committed as you are. Um, I'm, you know, I get up in the morning just like you do. I commute just like you do. So you, you're part of the team because if you're working remote all the time, then there's, there's a disconnect in terms of their working relationship and your relationship with work. Um, 
but they, that's the that was the good thing is they gave me they gave me an opportunity to uh, to have a little bit of wiggle room to do what I needed to do. And that's fantastic to know that there are companies out there who are willing to make those compromises to support their their executives and, and employees and in finding the right lifestyle balance and design for them. So that's why I wanted to ask that to make sure that that was, or to see if that was something that that was positive in, in that negotiating process and, and has worked in your favor. So yeah. my I mean, next- for consultants who want to make the move, right. That could be a, that could be a big part of their compensation package. You know, they may say, you know, you can pay me this much, but if I can work from home two days a week, that would, that would really make my transition a lot easier. Absolutely. And I think that would be a huge one for entrepreneurs who are wanting to do this, but aren't sure how they can do it. So, uh, thanks for sharing that. And my next question for you is a bit about impact. So as entrepreneurs, as human beings, I would say generally, we are motivated by a number of different things, but I think that when it comes to it, there is a legacy factor for us. So what is that something that keeps you motivated or helps you focus or or gives you the drive you need when you're thinking of your long-term impact through your work? Well, at the end of the day, it's all about, I think it's all about doing good work and helping your customers uh, succeed. I mean, it, it sounds somewhat, um, you know, business 101 or consulting 101. But at the end of the day, you know, it's funny because the end of the day when I was consulting, it wasn't about it was never about the money. Like I never like I, I knew sort of by and large how much money I was making, but I didn't count it. It wasn't like I track oh I'm making this much money. It was about am I doing good work? Um, am I helping my my customers do what they need to do, whether it's brand awareness or customer acquisition or engagement. And, and I firmly believe that good work, uh, focusing on doing great work makes you successful in the long run. And so if you're working for a company, um, or if you're an entrepreneur, just do the best, make the best product you can serve your customers in the best way possible. Um, you know, do whatever it takes to make them happy. And, and I think at the end of the day, uh, if you do that and you have happy customers and that that really drives your business forward because there's nothing more powerful than happy customers. They are the the best sales and marketing assets that you can have because they'll refer business to you um, in ways that are far more powerful than, than you ever could do with your sales and marketing. So um, make a great product um, and serve your customers as, mu- as well as you can. And I think that's a that's a good recipe for success. Fantastic. And now my last question for you is what advice do you have for our audience so that they can thrive in their lives and their careers? So uh, from the work side, uh, I would say that um, you're always looking for an edge. You're always looking for some way that you can uh, stand up from the crowd, because the reality is, is that every single business, it's ultra competitive, no matter how unique you think you are. There's somebody out there that is doing the exact same thing that you are. So um, you've got to look for the angle. It, how is your story different? Um, how is what you how you do business different? How are your customers different? Um, if you're uh, a female entrepreneur, for example, how do you, how is your story different from every other entrepreneur's story out there? And how do you ride um, the wave? of more women getting involved in, in being entrepreneurs and encouraging female entrepreneurs. I mean, it's, there's all these different ways that you can um, attract the, the spotlight because it's hard to attract the spotlight. So you've got to be working that. you got to think about how do I do it? What do I do? How much time do I spend doing it? And then the, on the other side of the coin, when it comes to your personal life is have a personal life. Um, is 
is really embrace your friends and your interests and your passions and whether it's travel or food or sports or kids or, or learning or whatever you do is, is make sure you, you put as much energy um, and time into your personal life as you do into your professional life. Um, and you may not have perfect work-life balance. Uh, being an entrepreneur it can be all-consuming, but you've got to have both. Uh, and that'll give you kind of like the mental and physical, spiritual uh, balance that you need to uh, to do what you need to do and to wake up and be energized uh, about going to work every day. Absolutely. And thank you so much for those thoughts, uh, Mark. This was such a fruitful conversation. And I think we were able to cover a whole lot in terms of from personal to professional to the power of story. So I so appreciate you spending the time with us today here at Thrive. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive.